Hello, and welcome back to Free Reeling It, your movie-watching podcast with your two best friends. Well, I'm one of those friends, Jesse, and with me today is a man who will say yes to any movie pitch you tell him, but he has no money to make it. Matthew, how are you doing, Matthew? Wait, am I Larry Levy in all this now? Um, I think you're more Joel Levinson, if, if anything. Right, so let's you know, okay, I, I can st- I can stand being Joel Levinson because I'm not the guy going. No, we need a real Hollywood movie. Um, <laughs> I, I I really okay. We're talking about the. We're gonna get right into it. We're talking about the 1992 movie, The Player, directed by Robert Altman, written by Michael Tolkien, who wrote the novel too, I believe. Yes. Uh, starring Tim Robbins, uh, yeah. Greta Sketch Sketchy. I'm guessing that that sounds about Fred, right. Wait, Fred Ward. Oh, not that Fred Ward I'm thinking of. Are you thinking of Fred Willard? I'm thinking of Fred Willard. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, um, no, Whoopi Goldberg, not... Peter Gallagher, Vincent D'Onofrio, which I did not know Vincent D'Onofrio was in this movie. That was such a surprise for me. Yes. Um, but uh, the thing, guys, right, so here, let, I want to talk about Larry Le, uh, Levy. I don't want to talk about the plot of this movie too much just because I feel like, okay, so I watched, okay, I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. Um... I watched the trailer to this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Have you seen the trailer to this movie recently? Yes. I I was trying to I was trying to get Reba to watch it and I showed her the trailer and she's like, Yeah, that this doesn't interest me. I'm it like, plays like a really weird comedy in the trailer. Mm-hmm. There's no like tone other than like, hey, this is slapsticky. It to me at least in the trailer. Yeah. Um and then all my friends talked about this movie, and by my friends I mean like movie friends, and they're like, "Oh, this is the best thing that's ever been made. It's so good. It's so biting." And I'm like, "What wow. is this movie?" And then I sat down and watched it, and I got, to, <laughs> I got to the scene where Vincent D'Onofrio's character David Keane and Tim Robbins' character Griffin Mill uh, fight, and then yeah. what happens afterwards? And I'm like, "What am I watching?" <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then as it progressed, I'm like. Okay, I think I'm starting to piece it together. And then you get to the end, and you get to the phone call at the end, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, so this is a comedy, but it's not. It's just not like the laugh out loud every second comedy. It's the, oh, this is too real, and so we have to laugh to not cry. Um, I would go, uh, uh, maybe not further, I would probably go a different direction. This is a movie about its own making. Yeah, no, totally. It's um, it's in the same way I think it's like I don't, again these are movies I have not seen but I think from everybody tells me this is the kind of theming behind them like um, adaptation and like yeah. um, even like a little bit of the Truman Show or like is this like the actual reality of what's happening? Um, Truman Show is a bit more of a like less of a good analogy. I just think about like a man living his life, but it's actually a TV show, like that kind of thing. Yeah, Truman Show is like an existential thing. Whereas, um, whereas this is, this is like part, this is like that, this does that high wire act of satire where it very much could be something that's actually happened and we don't know. I want to talk about, though, Peter Gallagher for a second who plays Larry Levy. Yeah. Um, I've only seen him, like mentally, have only seen him really in one other movie. I've seen him in some TV shows, but I've only seen him in one other movie, and it was... The um, O.C.'s Peter Gallagher. <laughs> oh, he is in the O.C. He's the dad, right. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Never mind. Okay, he's a different character in the O.C. But um, I've only seen him movie-wise in... Um, what's it called? While You're Sleeping, because that's my mom's favorite romantic comedy, so I've seen it about a hundred times. Okay. Um, and he plays, like, an airhead, like, big guy kind of dude in that and I'm like Peter Gallagher only has like one mode and that is like hey I'm better than you yeah it's good mode he's, he, he plays he's it great a sm- he's just such a smug looking son of a bitch also I love Richard E. Grant in this he's not in it a lot but he's great in it <clears throat> yeah I I Richard E. Grant is one of those actors that whenever I see him I am his I am his biggest fan. Yeah, like, he's he's I, one of our greatest actors that no one talks about. Yeah, like I will, I will, like, and and it's because we watched this movie that I pitched another movie to watch. Um, but uh, 
which I'm just going to say we should cover this, and I don't think you should go into it. I think you should go into it as blind as possible. I'm down. But it's called it's called How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Um, it's also very much along the lines of this, but that's I, that, that people out there like anybody that might listen it listen to this watch How to Get Ahead in Advertising because I think it is I think it's one of the coolest films ever made. Um, but if if and when we get to it, I would love to hear Jesse go, Matt, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so how do, how do we want to talk about the player? Because I can talk around it, but show it. Um, I'll say this right now. If you have not seen the player, pause this. Like, seriously, pause this. Yeah. There's go no on. way to talk about the player. Other yeah, it's than hard. It's hard. And, I, and I, try, I really don't want to spoil it for people because it's so good when that reveal yeah. kind of comes through. Just it's a two it's a two hour movie. It's not very long compared to other l- movies that we've yeah, watched. We've been on this. watching. We've been watching long. We've been movies watching some lately. long movies. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, I've been feeling it. Um, yeah. So just watch the player. Pause this. Come back, and we'll give you a second. Welcome back. Do you have a drink? You rested? You got some chips? Okay, let's go go. Um, did you player. spend twelve hours in the zone like I did? Please don't. <laughs> don't do that. No one needs to spend twelve hours in the zone. Not even stalkers. Not uh, even me, and I, yet I yet I lo- want to do it again. Um, okay, so what okay, did Robert just, Altman direct before this? Oh boy, Robert Altman's I'm, a favorite I'm of mine. I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, he's he. I think his biggest his biggest up to this point was probably Mash. Yeah, I'm just curious where where he was at. at um, he, he this is this is like a comeback for him. Yeah, because he, he made he, Popeye. And he, he made Popeye, which which I think was a flop. He made Buffalo Bill and the Indians, or Sitting which is Bulls no, which lesson. is which is much as I want to like that movie, it's not great. It's also a flop, I believe. Yeah, and I don't know if Vincent and Theo made any money. No, I think he did Thieves Like Us. That's a very young Tim Roth in that movie. I just saw. Yeah. I kind of want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> um, like, um, he's, right he, before- I mean, he was doing TV movies too. Yeah. So yeah, so this is definitely his comeback, and. If he did a really good movie called Secret Honor, which is, uh, it's a weird one, but it, but I do like it. Uh, Grace mentioned on the last episode, uh, Three Women, that movie rules. Um, I've not seen a wedding. I do, I do prefer his, I do love his uh, version of Popeye. Come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean. I, I, it's I, safe I, to say I, though that that Altman is like the king of the ensemble movie next to Steven Soderbergh, maybe. Nope, no, Soderbergh is next to Altman in this. I'm gonna. Say I'm, that yeah, well, I mean, like in general, like they, those two are like one and two, and they're interchangeable sure. depending on what movie you're watching. Yeah. Um, and then like on a distant third, I think uh, we'll see what the next time's out. But I think, uh, um, gosh, what is his name? The guy who made Knives Out. What is his name? Why am I spacing on this? He made Brick. He made Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson? Ryan Johnson. I think Ryan Johnson is very good at like ensembles just based on Knives Out. Yeah. But we'll see. Um But no, like like uh Nashville I I've heard is really good, but California Split, like it's not an ensemble, but it's two powerhouses playing off each other. Yeah. Um MASH is an ensemble, a huge <clears throat> ensemble of MASH. Mm-hmm. Um McCabe and Mrs. Miller. There's two another two powerhouses like uh, playing off against each other. Um, well, see the, the 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 thing about Altman, and and this is something I'd forgotten about this movie, is Altman is really good at sound environments. Yeah, and so he can make a a a picture surrounding like one person seem like so many others are involved because of the thing. He I think he I I don't know if he invented this but i'm pretty sure he got like a technical oscar for doing ensemble stuff in mash where you would you know you'd have two surgeons at one table talking and then it would just pan through the room and it would you would start picking up other conversations and you would hear them really well and all of that sort of coalesced into creating almost like world building in a video game kind of um and I forgot that this movie had so much of it. Yeah. Um, and what I like is that most and most of that is not necessarily written, but almost improvised. Yeah. 
And so, okay, so here's the basic premise of this movie. I want, and this is full spoiler premise now. I'm going to yes, just lay it spoilers. out there. Um, Tim Robbins' character, Griff, Griffin Miller, is a... Um, Asshole. Yeah, well, that. But he's also <laughs> like a... What do, you, what do you call them? Not editors, but... Um, um, producers. He's a producer. He, he's a producer. But he's, he's like... He's, he's, he's a... He's a pitch receiver. Yeah, he's a pitch receiver for a major studio producer. And he um, basically doesn't give anybody a time of day unless you really, like, they charm him for some reason. And mm-hmm. he's been getting these postcards that say, Old Hollywood's dead, you're next type thing. Yeah. Um, Fred Ward is kind of like his uh, his character's Walter Stuckle. These, all these characters have great names. These yeah. are all, like, fantastic, like, character names that you just will wish you could write. They, um, they, you know what they have, Jesse. Yeah, what do they got? Here, here's what they have. They have good ass film noir names. Yeah, yeah, that's what. And like great, like Every comic book hero names them. and stuff. Yeah, you, like I'm gonna list them off. You got Griffin Mill, who's Tim Robbins, Fred Ward, yeah. Walter Stuckle, Whoopi yeah. Goldberg's Detective Avery. You got yep. uh, Peter Gallagher's Larry Levy. You got yep. Vincent D'Onofrio's David Keane. You got yep. Richard D. E. Grant's Tom Oakley. You Hell got yeah. Dean Stockwell's Andy Seville. You yep. got. Brian Brian James's Joel Levinson, like they're all mm-hmm. great. Yeah, Bruce Willis as him. No, I'm that. <laughs> yeah, that Bruce Willis as <laughs> uh, the Return of Bruno. That's the name of his character. Like um, all of these are like you could you could you could pick like a a, a noir from the 40s or 50s, and I these mean, are names. La- these are Lyle names Lovett's that were like characters Detective De Long Pre. Yep. Yeah, like that's a great name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, Jeremy Piven's in this movie. Anyways, um, yeah. if you need someone to eat sashimi with, <laughs> but that's uh, one of yeah, his lines. so so basically, he's he's less worried about the death threats, but they do become concerning to him. But he's more worried about this young guy, Larry Le- Levy, like taking over his position and like becoming the next big shot, like mm-hmm. producer underling type thing. And so he goes to try to figure out who's doing this, though, with the postcards. And he thinks it's Vincent D'Onofrio's David Kaheen because David Kaheen's, like, very, like, you deny me, blah, blah, blah. They get into a fight. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio punches him. And Tim Robbins goes insane for a brief moment and drowns Vincent D'Onofrio's character in a puddle. In a puddle in a parking lot. Um, then after that, he basically is trying to dodge the cops. Uh, also the person who was giving the notes is still giving him the notes and he's still trying to keep his job, which enter Dean Stockwell and Richard E. Grant's characters who are trying to pitch him an awful movie. Um, and they don't want big name actors and they want to keep the ending the way it is. Cause it's, it's a super somber, like arts house, uh, sad ending, especially for like the nineties and the eighties. Like this is like yeah. bread and butter for Oscar bait type stuff. Um, it doesn't have to be good as long as it's sad kind of thing. Um, and so he decides to use that to get Larry Levy in trouble and it all turns out great for Griffin Mill and Mm -hmm. he gets away with murder and he he marries the person who he murders wife and has a baby with her. And now he's the big shot producer, et cetera, et cetera. And you find out at the end that the person I was writing letters has a great script for him. It's about a producer who gets away with murder from killing a writer and he lives happily ever after. And he's like, what do we call it? We call it the player. That's, that's it. That's you guarantee thing. you guarantee me that ending. We have yeah, a deal. And he says that. It's just like, fuck. I think the I think the I think the thing that um really like starts to tip your hand when it comes to like what's going on here is the snake. This the snake scene, which is about in the middle of the movie, where Tim Robbins gets into his car, stressed out that something's happening, and talking about like it's after he first meets Dean Stockwell's character and Richard E. Grant's character and like the guy's like oh you're supposed to come alone now you're a snake blah 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 and he opens up a basket in his car and there's just a rattlesnake a rattlesnake which doesn't make any sense why that would be there it doesn't make sense how he doesn't crash his car it doesn't make sense how he can kill it so easily Mm -hmm. and I was watching that and I go this movie's not making sense and I think that's on purpose because It's a movie being rewritten as it's going. Not like really it is, but like mentally, like it's the idea of like, this is what happens when you're filming a movie and like, oh, this wasn't testing well. We got to change it. We got to add more drama. We got to add more stakes. You add a snake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that kind of stuff. And that stuff starts happening more and more as it goes along. Well, and then there's a, there's a, there's a moment where Griffin is talking to uh, June, which is uh, not David Kahane's wife, but I guess girlfriend. I thought they were married. Maybe they're not. 
No, because... Okay, early in the movie, when Tim Robbins is trying to track down David Kahane, he calls... David yeah, Kane's I thought David house. Kane said, like, what'd you do, call my wife, when he shows no, up at the Bicycle Thieves? No, 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 no. Remember, remember here, I'm going to, the phone conversation, she's like, so, um, so your husband hates me, huh? And she's like, I don't have a husband. Oh, well, David hates me, huh? Well, <laughs> he calls you the dead man. Um, oh. <laughs> but, um, and, and this is a, an entirely creepy scene where Tim Robbins is basically standing outside the window watching this woman that he's never met. Yeah, that's like, a very creepy <clears throat> scene. Yeah, uh, but... So... I forgot where I was going. No. He... I forgot what I was... I forgot where I you was going this. with this. Uh, but... Uh, and Kahane asks, so did you talk to the Ice Queen? You'd like her. She's all heart. And he says uh, everything with complete, you know, sarcasm. And I'm, 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 I'm lost, Jesse. I forgot where I was going. It's okay. It happens to the best um, of us. But no. Oh, I know where I was going now. Okay. Um, that's going to be some editing for you. Sorry. That's fine. Uh, but there's a moment where he's talking to June and he's, and she asks, so like, what was the problem with his script? And he says, well, it's lacking all the things we can use to market a movie. And he says like suspense, sex, a happy ending, hope. Um, and he lists like everything that has happened in the movie up to up to that point so that leads into what you were saying like they were rewriting this as they go yeah in a lot of ways that plays into that and that's actually something i had not thought about and that's kind of brilliant especially with the end too like the way the movie kind of wraps up is like uh why did you give up like your your ending your 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 um idea of no big actors etc cetera, etc cetera. oh that's a beautiful um, bit of punctuation from Richard yeah and, Grant. And, and that's that's really like the the idea of like this is like you're watching this movie and it doesn't feel right and so the movie's trying to like autocorrect in the middle of the movie which like it, I don't think it happens as much now but I don't know as much as behind the scenes stuff as of modern movies as I do about older movies but that happened a lot like in the 90s and the 80s of people going like this isn't testing I'll redo it now and like and so movies oh, yeah. like feel super disjointed at times if they had too much mm-hmm. finagling with them um so yeah I, I like it's one of those things where like this movie is about the movie industry and how it works to get your movie made and what you might have to sacrifice to do it yes and people act like oh man this is just great movie I'm like yeah but you know, the issue is is it feels really relevant still <laughs> Yeah, like this. This um, I mean, I did watch the. I did watch one of the special features where Altman himself is talking about this movie. He's like, "This isn't just about Hollywood." Like, I guarantee you that this sort of thing happens at all. Uh, like middle executive to high executive levels of corporations everywhere. It's all yeah, about the bottom line. It's all about your va- your your immediate short term value. <clears throat> Like, this might be satire, but I guarantee you that anybody in Griffin's position is just as expendable as anybody in Levy's position. As long as you can, as long as you can say you are not the low, the lowest value person there, you're not going to get chopped. Yeah. And that's the game. And, and... I think he lists like several industries like, yeah, I'll bet you this even happens in government. Uh, and then he goes on a tirade about Reagan, which I completely agree with because fuck Ronald Reagan, uh, that, that, that little video on the criterion channel is worth your time. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll check it out. I forgot this was on the criterion channel. I watched it on HBO max for some reason. Oh. Um, here's, here's my thing. Okay. Every celebrity cameo in this movie was a joy. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Um, there wasn't a moment where I'm like, well, now this is getting a bit gratuitous here. No, every time it was great. The, from seeing Jeff Goldblum at the party at the beginning to 
I'm trying to remember who was at the end. Um, oh, Bruce Willis and a very young, um, a very young Julia Roberts. Yeah, Julia Roberts. I, I didn't, pretty, re- I didn't recognize it was Julia Roberts until. Is this like, pre Pretty up. Woman Julia Roberts? Um, I think so. Or maybe just post because it's 1992. I don't remember when Pretty Woman was. I thought so. Pretty Woman was 90s. It might be. I'm looking. I'm looking. Give me a second. Take um, your time. What was I gonna say though about that? No, I just, I love I love I love cameos like that. Like all right. Right. people heard me complain a lot, if you know me personally, about how much I didn't like Jeff Goldblum in Thor Ragnarok. And it's because that he was playing Jeff Goldblum playing another character. He wasn't playing um he wasn't he wasn't hired to be Jeff Goldblum in uh, in, in that role, right? Type of thing. Mm-hmm. But when they are supposed to be themselves and they're they're just themselves, it's so much fun for me. <laughs> I like that stuff when it's just them being themselves because they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, see, and the funny thing is, Richard Grant, Richard E. Grant and Dean Stockwell are the type of dudes that have probably been in the situation that Tom Oakley and... Yeah. Um, forgetting... Where, where's Dean Stockwell? Uh, Andy Savella... Like they seem like folks that have been in that position. Yeah. Like I can, I can, I mean, because I've seen several Richard E. Grant films, like I could see him trying to sell a movie to a yeah, studio. Yeah, totally. And he would be exactly how he is early in the movie, and then when cornered at the end about selling out and you know giving up your purity or whatever, he would he's totally the guy that could be like, well, this didn't test well in Canoga Park. They hated it. They love this. That's reality. <laughs> like, I can totally see him doing it. And, you know, and, and Stockwell is very much a good go-along guy in that scenario. Um, and I'm, I'm with you on the cameos because I think Burt Reynolds and um, Malcolm McDowell. I was about to, I was going to say my favorite joke is the McDowell joke. Like the, both oh, yeah. of them. I'll bet you Malcolm McDowell has wanted to say that if he hasn't said the things that he says to Griffin Mill for so long. And and also, this movie has uh, our, a fan favorite of the show, Peter Falk, in it. I mean, how could oh, it be yeah. bad? How could it be bad? Yeah. I mean, Elliot Gould makes a cameo, for crying uh, out loud. Terry Gar's in it. Gary Busey's uh, in this movie, guys. Um, oh, Gary Busey with a brilliant mullet. Like, oh my goodness. Um, also, this, this two hours this, is worth it for the three seconds you see him in just a stunner of a mullet. Um, I think this Nick was Nolte's two years well. after two years after Pretty Woman, by the way. Yes, I did look that up, and I I was waiting for the correct time to bring that up. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and then like there's there was more cameos like cut like Patrick Swayze had a cameo that was cut, and there's other people mm-hmm. that had cameos that were cut like. This is this is what pop star was to like twenty tens in the nineties, where basically it's like let's make a movie about the industry, but let's kind of satirize it a bit, but also make it very serious at times, and then also let's get all of our friends to do cameos for no money. Right. Yeah. And I I think it was I think it's you see Angelica Houston and John Cusack sitting at a table together talking. Oh, this movie's good. What what else do you want to talk about it? Because like um, I think we kind of like, th- th- I think once you talk about the main point, which is that industry kind of self eating it like eating itself alive, that's like that's the main thing. But everybody's like, this is like listed as a black comedy, which I don't know if like the humor in it is like funny humor, which I guess black comedy kind of fits into that. I always think about comedy is just really dark humor for most uh most yeah. of my stuff, but. It is funny in the sense of like this is just unnatural and unreal. I think the funniest part is the um is not not just the Malcolm McDowell scene and the scene that comes after about McDowell's, but I think the funniest scene is the lineup, the police lineup. Oh yeah. With with his lawyer who's like, <laughs> Oh, I, I can make quick work of her. I could I can I could get her like to make the ID the wrong person easily and then she yeah. IDs the cop without his like persuasion yeah. and he's like, Ah, perfect and then they leave I and he just... goes, Oh, also no ramps here, cool, that's great I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well so so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a couple things. One the the idea that it's about a movie making itself or the movie about the movie being made 
as it goes on. It's not delivered very ham-handedly or not until the um, end. No, like it's 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 well, it starts off with someone go someone going like lights, camera, action with a slate, but that you just don't see that you don't see any of that on screen. You hear it. Oh yeah, like, true. okay. Everybody places action, and then opening tracking shot which i actually that's a really cool scene too because um everyone's talking about the opening scene from touch of evil about how long it is and it's all one shot and then everyone i think it's um it's fred ward's character walter stuckle talking about all this he's like just biggest touch of evil fan you've ever met and then everyone brings up another scene and they're like no i'm talking about a real movie from hollywood orson welles like touch of evil and and there's so much of that that's brought up and every time i hear it it kind of triggers me a little bit because i just want to go fuck you um but the other thing i want to talk about Whoopi goldberg is amazing in this movie you know so i've been watching star trek the next generation right yes and i'm in season two now she's finally showing up in it and Whoopi goldberg is a is a treasure let me tell you sister yeah. act next star trek this treasure yeah jumping jack flash i haven't seen it can't tell you eddie Really haven't good. seen it. Can't tell you. <laughs> uh, I listed the three this, things I remember seeing her in. You know, I I, I will say this. Um, I feel like I feel like if you know Whoopi Goldberg, like what she's done, and then you go to the color purple. Yeah, which is an amazing film in my. I opinion. forgot she's in Ghost. Yeah, she she is in Ghost. Um, but, like, she is a way better actress than any, or an actor, than anyone will give her credit. And she's, she, she's one fucking EGOT, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, like, this, this woman, y'all, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg rules. And she's acting and, still so much. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing how much she's still acting. Like, in just the last few years, she was in at least... 10 TV shows mm-hmm. like she's just all over the place as like consistent characters that show up in those <laughs> and shows she's too. on the view yeah which having to deal with everybody on that show every day yeah. more power to you <laughs> yeah whoopee you have way more patience than I ever could it's it's one of those things where like there's all these actors are in this movie like including Tim Robbins who I think is great and I think Tim mm-hmm. Robbins is great in a lot of things but all of these actors are not huge actors and none of them become the next big thing except for some of the cameos but that's besides the point right they're cameos but like Tim Robbins Fred Ward Peter Gallagher Vincent D'Onofrio Richard E. Grant Dean Stockwell Whoopi Goldberg they all are those actors that are half TV actors half Mm -hmm. film actors and they never like do the big movie like Richard E. Grant's maybe like and maybe Vincent D'Onofrio like the two other ones that like maybe hit it bigger later yeah. Um, but all of them feel like so naturally like just these people because they are actors who are always playing just people. They're never playing the action hero and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's why it was one of the things like with Tim Robbins. Like I know that's Tim Robbins, but he's playing Griffin Griffin Miller so well mm-hmm. that I forget that it's not like that. It is Tim Robbins while he's like hanging out next to Burt Reynolds playing Burt Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Future um, idea where we're gonna watch Howard the Duck. By the way, oh yeah, I need to watch that. Again. I've never seen I've, it, so uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. It's, it's probably been thirty years. Another Grace episode. It, so. Get on for Howard the Duck. <laughs> I mean, she did say she's a big George Lucas. I'm fan. saying if you got to put your money where your mouth and, is, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I won't. I won't put her on the spot asking her if that's Grace Core. But we should watch Howard the Duck. Uh, uh, yeah, Howard the Duck. Future episode. Look forward to it in a couple months. <laughs> Be there. Um, but uh, but yeah, like this movie is. I think if you were coming to it just for like two hours of popcorn, you might not. You there's a chance you could be disappointed, and it tricks you into thinking it's gonna be two hours of popcorn, which I like so much. And yes. it, again, it's one of those things where I didn't know what I was getting when I went into it. I thought I was getting a straight up comedy for some reason. Like all these com- comedians, 
all, a lot of these actors are comedic actors. Like mm-hmm. they have really good like comedy timing chops and everything. And that wasn't what they were doing. They were doing a, a film noir that was pretending to not be a film noir, pretending to be a film noir. <laughs> But also kind of being a mockumentary. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you, you you pointed out again, like, how it starts off with uh, action and the, the click of the, 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 uh, the, I can't remember what they're called now. Um, the slate? The slate. And, like, we don't yeah. see it. You know what that reminds mm-hmm. me of? What? Uh, I think it's Super Mario 3. Is it 3 or Super Mario? Oh, where it opens with a curtain, right? Yeah, the curtain. And, like, you, like it's yeah. basically, like, now, like, common head canon that they're putting on a play about Mario. Yeah. Like, that's what they're doing. Like, that's what this is, is, like, all these actors got together. It's like, let's put on a play about Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very, you know, it's funny. It's very Coen Brothers before Coen Brothers, and it's also very, um... Well, the Coen Brothers have been around for almost 10 years at this point, I think. Oh, yeah, it's true. I forgot how old they are. <laughs> like I think I don't remember what your blood simple was, but oh, I, maybe this is like one of the few times a director like looks at his younger peers and goes, "Hey, what if I just crib what they're doing and do it well?" Because that happens all the time, where like older sure. directors are like, "Let's try to do something modern," and it doesn't work. Um, yeah. But this is like a Conan Brothers movie married to a um, David Lynch movie. Like Ooh, if you told me that this one. was like a that. David Lynch movie, I'd be like, "Yeah, okay, I could see it." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, especially, like, have you, have, you've seen Mulholland Drive, right? Yeah. Like, Mulholland Drive is very much about the same kind of idea of, like, Hollywood will consume you in interesting ways, and, but yeah. it's just way more out there <laughs> with its uh, yeah. presentation of it. Mm-hmm. But the Detective uh, De Long Prix uh, character is a, it feels like that should have been played by Lynch. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Like the Lynch way he's just kind of wandering around, oh, and then when he's God. yeah, when he starts talking to him, and he's like really just off-putting. Like it feels yeah. like he pitched that character, he wrote that character for Lynch, and Lynch is like, "Nah, I don't want to do that." Yeah, and then Lyle Lovett is just Lyle Lovett. So, and like not to not not to knock him because I'm not paying any disrespect towards the man, but he does play awkward rather well. Yeah, I mean that's what he's uh pretty famous for, right? Mm-hmm. Ah oh, man, what a good movie! Yeah. We've been watching this, good movies. Yeah, I mean, we're. I mean, we're. I was talking to. I, was, I think I was telling you. I'm like, we've we've kind of just done banger after banger. We gotta watch a bad movie. We gotta we gotta knock ourselves down a few pegs in a little bit. Well, uh, yeah, we'll probably do that. Or it's <laughs> probably it's it's probably gonna be something I really like, and you're just like. Fuck are you on, Matt? No, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, you wouldn't be the first, and I doubt you'll be the last, Jesse, to say that to me. Um, um, so this is a fun fact. By fun, I mean not as fun, but I do think it's a little bit funny, and that's mm-hmm. about the sex scene in the movie. Okay. Um. So according to Wikipedia, which again, trust your sources. They, at least sure. they cite them here, but yes. um. Uh, I guess Altman was super praised for how like he filmed the sex scene, and he only had to film it that way because he asked um, uh, Scarchi, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. I think it's Scotchy, yeah. Uh, Scotchy, yeah. He asked her to do a nude scene, and she said no, and then she got really mad about it, so he can only film basically from the neck up. <laughs> and that's why it's filmed the way it is. Yeah. Uh, it's, Actually, before, I, I think we're kind of barreling towards uh, what, what we've been watching. Yeah. I do want to say... Yeah, any last, the last, last, last thoughts? The last... I do like how uh, June Goodwin's daughter is kind of created. And I was... I, it's oh, yeah. the one. It's the one thing that I had sort of like, what the fuck is this woman? Yeah, no, you're right. Movie? She is very much like the dream, like, arty drama uh well, I, movie woman like i i initially when i first saw and i first saw this um i think maybe in high school but i remember thinking when i first saw it like what the fuck is this pretentious woman who just paints you know doing yeah and then you know, I've every time I've watched this since, and I've only seen this movie like three or four times. Like, not near. It's not like I've. It's not how many times I've watched like Stalker, um, but 
I've always grappled with that. And then when I watched that Altman video today on the Criterion channel, he actually kind of illuminated her role in this whole thing really well. Um, she seems made up. Yeah, she feels like I mean, the, like the straight fictional character you would make like, for. Like this is the, this is the one, like you could see everybody else in this movie being real on some level or another, but she seems like the only one in this film that there's no way she could exist. I mean, this movie is like a, a self parody of the '80s neo noirish type movies they were making. Like it reeks of Chinatown's like tone. In a sure. lot of ways. Well, and, I think it kind of wishes it had Chinatown's tone. Well, I don't think I don't think it wishes. It's just like, hey, you remember Chinatown? Like, it's not. I don't think it wishes <laughs> to be anything that it already that it just is. But okay. it, may, it, may, it, it I think uh, Almond's trying to make you think of other movies and be like, hey, isn't that kind of silly though when you put it in this light? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, same with David Kahin's character, right? It's like this is a guy that's distraught because no one understands his art. And then like everybody's talking about how great his art is. And everybody's like, no, he actually just sucked. Like he just sucked. He's just kind of a prick. Yeah. He's just mean. And that's why people thought he was good at his job because he was mean. But getting back to June, like it's, it's, it's funny. Like you compare and contrast June and Griffin's current girlfriend, um, Bonnie Shiro. The only character that seems like they're in reality. Yeah, the only character that's grounded and for more for all intents and purposes, she's likable if not lovable in this movie. And she's like she's ultimately supportive of Griffin. She's happy in the relationship with him. She is trying to be on level I mean, she's clearly trying to be on level playing field with Griffin and he's uh, he's only supportive when it can gain him some free time to be with June. But that's why Griffin ultimately sucks. Oh, yeah. but June, Griffin is the bad guy of this movie. Oh, 100%. And they never 100%. let you forget that. No, Griffin Griffin is the asshole. Uh, you say what you want about David Kahane and his self-righteous dickishness. Uh, but, you know, King King Dick on this in this film is definitely Griffin. Um but June is the ideal wife for someone in a high corporate job. Like Griffin could go away for however long. She's like, okay, I'll just have dinner when you get back. I'm just going to, you know, be in the house and paint or do what, or do whatever I'm doing because I'm just ultimately content. Whereas, um, any significant other, in a relationship is going to ultimately need some, I don't want to say like validation of the relationship or anything like that, but there's all, there's always going to need to be a coming together so you can feel like a team. Yeah. And June does not seem to need that. She goes, David went to the movies. Cool. I'm just going to paint. Oh, you're a strange man coming over here. I'm going to take a picture of you behind a shower curtain. I'm going to paint you. Yeah, I'm good. We good? I'm good. And that's how she is. And it's it's watching that special feature almost it solidified her as an actual idea in this movie other than someone that just seems more out there than the rest of the cast. You remind me of one more thing that I really thought was indicative of like the the parody of neo noir of the 80s and stuff okay. um after the snake incident he goes back to her and she's painting him right mm-hmm. and he goes oh is that is that me and he's like shocked about looking at the painting you're like why is he shocked he's like those look like snakes <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah kind of sure maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's just like very funny that that's like that's the image and in any other movie that would be like, wow, they're really trying hard here. And in this movie, you're like, no, that's that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, Cle- last clearly, fact. clearly, that's a, that's another that's another signpost of a rewrite. If you ask yeah, me. exactly. That's what I think. Um, last fun fact: uh, this movie made back its budget in the first weekend, which oh, isn't yeah. like a huge budget, eight million dollars, but still, that's pretty yeah. impressive. 
Well, I just like that uh, in that video that I watched, Altman is talking about, you know, I made the player so I could make shortcuts, um, which he released in 93, also starring Tim Robbins. Um, and if I had to rank uh, Altman films, that's probably one of my top five of his. So another great thing this movie does, and I, I promise we'll, we'll we're, we're just we're just talking about how great this movie is. Um, it's a good movie. It's a I great promise movie. it's good. Yeah. Um, is the poster cutaways? Oh yeah, all the all the all the <laughs> there's there's one egregious one like like um purpose egregious one that's yeah. dial M for murder and it's just a hard focus on the giant red M. Yep. <laughs> I think I think it's after he has to go do the lineup too. Yeah, it's actually that. Yeah. Uh it's so funny to me because I saw that and I'm like, oh okay, so we're just on the nose here. <laughs> this is this is what we're doing. Yeah. Um. Any final thoughts from you? I know I kind of went for a while. I could, I can like think about that. I, that's the thing. Like I just watched this last night, so my thoughts are still very new. And okay. I think like further we get along from this, like the more I'll have, I'll think of. We might. I just want to be like, hey, here's the player section of this podcast. Um, yeah. Who's the Who's the cinematographer of this? I'm just curious. I don't remember. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking, I'm looking. I did look at it, but I did not. Duh, duh, duh. Jean Lapine, Jean Lapine. Um, or, or Lapin, or Lapin. however you say that. I'm not trying to butcher the name because I. He just... has done nothing else that I have seen, yeah. um, which is fair. I, like, not that the cinematography was like ultra cool or anything, but I just thought some of like, just the way that the like the whip pans and stuff were very like, over. Overdone in the perfect way. Okay. That, that's really what I was thinking. Like, I think it looks like, it looks like he did. Uh, Vincent and Theo. Oh, okay. I, I saw you did the sixth day, but I've not seen that movie, so me either. I. What have we been watching in the last week? Because we recorded um, since back to back. Yeah, we kind of. Yeah, I've not had time to watch anything else, and I, I, I started this a second time because I had a, a big chunk of time at work today, but I did not get it a second time. Uh, so I've not actually watched anything. Um, I've actually not read since our last episode either, so... I got you. Okay, cool. What you got? I watched four movies that aren't Thor, Love and Thunder. Okay. And I think all but one of them is fantastic, and one of them is going to surprise you that I don't think is fantastic. So which one do you want first? you want the not fantastic one? I want the bad news first, yeah. I think MASH is not a very good movie, only because... I've seen all of the TV show. Um, this will be my last episode of. No. <laughs> Not to say like the people in Mash aren't like great, and the filming of Mash isn't great. It's the content within Mash that I think has like just it just rubbed me too raw in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, um, that's that's fair. That's one hundred percent fair. And, and to be fair, this is a movie that's filmed during the Vietnam War, where everybody's angry about everything, mm-hmm. um, and this Altman being angry about everything. Yeah. But just some of the 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 meanness <laughs> to some of these characters, uh, and coming from these characters is just like, woof. Like yeah. at least in the show, they can apologize. <laughs> they don't get to apologize in this. Yeah, they don't have time. Also, uh, I think the football game is a little, it's a little self indulgent. Oh sure, I think most of that movie is self indulgent, but Fair. it's also, it's also. Um, it, I mean, I don't, I don't know how the politics of directors or people in the film industry came across overall, but Robert Altman seems to be one of those where he wanted to throw his thoughts about the world on the screen. Yeah. And I think this is very much his thoughts about Vietnam. This is very much his thoughts about um, uh, war in general, as well as you know a post-Nixon America. Or well, actually, this is in the middle of Nixon. Um, so he, I mean, he. This is a man who definitely had thoughts and about who, who had thoughts and feelings and anger about the world and he threw that on the screen in a way that it wasn't 
when I saw this the first time, I completely missed it. Like, I, I'm like, I didn't like MASH either. And then after I had watched several of his other films uh, after MASH, and then, I mean, I, I haven't sat down and watched all of MASH in a very long time. Uh, I don't know if I will, just because it's, it's time investment. in my life. Yeah, it's, it's a time in my life, and I don't think I need to go back to it. Uh, bagel. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear him, but he, oh, is it's just okay. going, he is going crazy outside that door. Um, but when I came back to MASH, I was like, oh, I, I see what he's doing now. And it took, I mean, it took some, you know, it took some living and a bit of learning uh, just about the world in general before I before I could come back and get to it. I'm not saying you don't know any of that because I, I would never say that to you or any friend of mine um, unless I thought you really needed to hear it. Um, but I think that if you come back to MASH, um, not... You don't have to go. You don't have to go rewatch it like right now or in the next few months. But I'll bet you we'll probably watch more Altman for this show. Uh, yeah, because I know, will. I know there are at least five of his films that I will say we should watch this because I'd like. Oh to yeah, I thoughts. think we should watch Long Goodbye and talk about it. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, down, I'm in. Um, but I would definitely say you know maybe now is the time we go back to Mash and just have the conversation. Yeah, I think I could um, do that again. Yeah. Um, so, okay, what what movies did you like? All right, so I liked it on the same side of MASH, but I think presents its argument maybe better. I don't know. It's a more modern movie, so maybe that's why. Lord of War, the Nicolas Cage movie. I've never seen that. That is starring uh, Jared Leto. Not great mm-hmm. in the movie. He's fine. He's serviceable. But Nicolas Cage puts on a very, like, honest and kind of chilling performance of a guy who basically is a merchant of death. Um, and mm-hmm. not based on a real one, but based on many real ones. Like, it's very. Also, maybe the best opening credit sequence of all time. Not all time. Okay, let me rephrase that. That's a that's a big ass. One of the top ten easy though, where they basically just take you through the life of a bullet, which ends in a child's brain. <laughs> uh, wow. It's very tense in a very tense way to open up a movie. Okay. Um. Then I watch Gattaca. Let me tell you something about Gattaca. That movie's great. Okay, I've never seen Gattaca, and Matthew, you should watch Gattaca. I, pr- you know, I'll try. Um, but have you ever heard of the show The League? I've heard of The League. Uh, okay. Paul Shear, right? Paul Shear, Mark Duplass, Nick Jason Kroll, Manzoukas. Jason Manzukis. Well, anyway, there's an Jason Manzukis becomes a regular in the second season, and there's a there's a time where. Jason Manzoukas, uh, Jean Lajoie's character, and Mark Duplass's character are going paintballing, and Jason Manzoukas is just running around screaming "Gattaca." <laughs> I wish I wish I knew why he was doing that because there's no, no scene in this movie no, where he me, does it. Me telling you that he doesn't explain it because John Lajo- John Lajoie's character is like, I don't think he's seen that movie because if he yeah. did, I don't think he'd be screaming it. <laughs> Um, uh, but but yeah, so that's that's all I know about Gattaca, isn't it? It's Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hawke, Uma, Uma, Thurman, Uma Thurman, Jude Law, okay. uh, Alan Arkin. Oh, okay, all right. Um, it's it's a very smart sci-fi movie, which I am impressed that it was made in the '90s for like how it like it, it's age. It's like um Minority Report, but with less special effects, right? Like how Minority Report is a sci-fi movie that I think will never feel old. Like Spielberg right. just had some kind of weird magic while he made that movie, and mm-hmm. that movie like is over twenty years old at this point, and it just yeah. doesn't feel like it. Yeah, you know a movie I don't think is twenty years old. What? Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. No, but I like I have a soft spot for Sky Captain though. It's I think that movie is way better than anybody gave it credit it, for at the time. Well, it's, it's I think it's, in fact I think Ebert was one of the only folks that gave it full marks i think it's this it's the the speed racer effect right where it's a movie that no one really makes anymore also up against movies that people wanted to see yeah 
Um, like, like, uh, again, listening to blank check, they're doing the, the Wachowski sisters. And mm-hmm. I just listened to the speed racer episode. And I'm like, I like speed racer. It's a very long kids movie, but I like speed racer. Um, and I know that some of the like inherent, like racial flaws in that movie, but, um, yeah. but yeah, they open up against iron man. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the same kind of thing with sky captain. I don't remember what year sky captain came out, but I bet you anything opened up against like a blockbuster. And yeah, Sky Captain's like uh, Rocketeer. Like it's just a movie that isn't made anymore. Yeah. But coming from a I mean, big fan it, of Dick Tracy, I love Sky like, Captain. Sky Captain fucking slaps, and it's a it's there's a weird amount of stars in it. Oh yeah. And still it and still it just did not do well. Um, it was advertised in every comic book I was reading at the time. Oh really? Yeah. It yeah. came out in 2004, so it's 18 years old. But it. I, like I want to go back and watch that again just to see, just to see it because I think I still we think should it's, do was... a triple threat where we watch Dick Tracy, The Rocketeer, and Sky Captain, which is like three distinct eras of someone trying to make a movie like a pulp movie. Like, I don't think Sky Captain is based on anything. I think that no, was... I think it's just it's based off the idea of pulp stuff. Yeah, it's it's like that's a that was I mean it was written and directed by the same guy, correct? Um, I'm looking by the same yeah. person. Yeah. Yep. And like so, it's it's a fully formed idea. Whereas the Rocketeer and Dick Tracy are probably among favorites of mine in terms of like, I'll say this, comic movies. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, you're right. Th- these movies aren't made anymore. And I should watch Speed Racer because I I just never have. Speed Racer is long, so just heads up. <laughs> no, really. I spent 12 hours in the zone. You think I'm scared of a long movie? <laughs> I think it's a different type of long movie. It's a kid's movie that's long. That's a whole different ball. Okay. I don't know I don't know if you know what I mean by that. It's just like, No, I don't. It's for me it's one of those things where Oh, Sky Captain opened up number 1 the on the Friday it came out. So maybe Huh, maybe there was no good movies at the time. And then it just sloped away rather sharply to a point where no one remembered it. Yeah, I don't t- remember how, I've, I'm trying to forget how good 2004 was as a movie year. Well, it came out the, uh, in the middle of September, so it's not like a great month for movies anyways. No. Um, Sky Captain, Mr. 3000, Resident Evil, Apocalypse, Wimbledon, and Cellular were the top five movies. That tells, okay. you, that tells you what that weekend was like. I'm going to look at the next weekend and see what came out that weekend. Again, Shaun of the oh. Dead opened up fifth that the next weekend, and Sky Captain was number two still that weekend. Did wow. Sky Captain do well? <laughs> like, am I now being gaslit? The Sky Captain did well. Maybe. Well, I oh, mean, no, I'm looking. No, it I, I just it still did not do well. I just googled the best films of 2004 just to see what was there, and then like Primer's there, The Village is there, The, the Village is, is there. The best. Okay. No, I just, I just like it. You know how when you do Google, I'm True. not saying these are the best films, but like also Spider-Man Two came out that year. Yeah, that's like uh, Hellboy came out that year. Team Night America. Watch came out that year. Crash uh, was a big, big deal that year, but that movie's racist as fuck. Incredibles um, came out that year. The Terminal came out that year. Aviator came out that year. Friday Night Lights came out that year. Like. Wasn't exactly a wasn't exactly oh closer, which was kind of Oscar bait if I remember correctly. Saved, which is a great movie. Um, All right, last movie of mine though, so we can yes. wrap up is uh, yes. I watched Cabaret, the Liza Minnelli one, the Liza Minnelli Cabaret movie. Oh, nice! I love that movie. What a what a They're lovely, not lovely movie. Yeah, it's it's real ugly, but it's beautiful. It really is. And Liza Minnelli is a treasure. Just off mm-hmm. the one... That's the only movie I know I've seen her in. Like, I've probably seen her in other things, but that's the only movie I mentally know I've seen her in. Okay. What a treasure. Yeah. I need to watch Liza with an E. Or with a Z, I mean. Uh, you, that's her, you like, life wa- show. You should watch uh, Arthur. I will do that. Arthur's really good. Matthew, what are we watching next? Uh, we are watching Luis Boonwell's The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. And I feel like this is going to be one of those films where I'm super high on and Jesse's like, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're doing, Matt. Find out next week when we record. Yeah. <laughs> Find out in two weeks when you hear it. Um, so, yeah. And hopefully I will be able to watch some more. I have a list of things I want to watch. 
but we'll see. Matthew, where can people find you on the interwebs? People can find me at infinite underscore rewind everywhere I want to be. That's basically Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you see, if you happen to join the Uppercut Discord and you see Infinite Rewind posting in the pet pics or music or film and TV space, that's me. Uh, yeah, come say hi. Come be nice. Um, oh, and um, listen to Trivial mean, Merit with Matthew and Caroline. <laughs> I was just about to get there. Listen to the Bald Guy Gun Show. Is that what it's called? Bald Gun Guy Podcast. <laughs> Listen to so, the Bald White Guy Gun Show. No, Welcome to the Air Force. No, <laughs> no this is not a Maverick podcast. Um, oh, we should no, start a uh, Top Gun podcast where all we talk about is Top Gun Maverick for like six weeks. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yes, I do I do co-host uh few other podcasts listen to story route zero it's a video what is called story route zero where i talk about video games that i'm playing with three friends and we sometimes cover news uh jesse mentioned trivial merit where our mutual friend caroline and i make playlists to help us and maybe you feel better uh we are about to release the bonnie rate episode um which i'm excited for and then next on our plate is a favorite of mine from from the past 20 years beach house uh, Ooh. so, so yeah. i can do one of those playlists for that one awesome because i actually know um, that band yeah they're i i love them a lot and then uh then there is the bald gun guy podcast that the folks at scanline media were uh kind enough to allow me to join it is a replay of the modern hitman trilogy we are about to record the whittleton creek episode uh which is it's very appropriate to the player because it's about you go to you go to the you go to suburbia as suburbia and do crimes and then you find out everybody in suburbia as suburbia is a fucking criminal you can find me everywhere at Sleeper of the Bed. I'll have other podcasts eventually when I have more energy. And I'm working on that newsletter. I'm still recovering from things, but I hope to have something next week for that. Yes. Um, Matthew does our theme for the show. Uh, my buddy Jason, he goes by Deadeye. That's D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. You can find his album, Bloodshed Kingdom, on all streaming services. He was also a part of a reggae duo called The Hope Street Steppers. And in 2013, they released one of my favorite reggae albums of all time called Black Lightning. Check him out. You can find him on Instagram at Deadeye Productions. Uh, all one word, D-E-A-D-I Productions. Uh, and remember, everybody, not everything. Oh, that's not a good... Uh, okay, we gotta redo this. We gotta retool this in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> we gotta figure out a better catchphrase. Matthew, remember everybody. I need celebrities. I need I need Bruce Willis to come back. I need Julia Roberts in this movie. We need Arnold Schwarzenegger stickups. Last Waltz I started actually watching. I did not finish it, though. Um, okay. And Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. I don't know what that is. Okay. That's a that's a favorite of mine. Uh, it's by Luis Bunuel, who came to prominence in the Surrealist movement. Uh, he and Dali were kind of buddies. Um, but this is a film about a group of upper-class folks that sit down to dinner... But never actually eat. Interesting. And they do this over the course of like, well, more more than an hour and a half. But um, they sit down multiple times, and they are always interrupted. Huh. And and it's there's no elevator pitch for this movie that I can sell you. Um, 
the only reason I watched it is because I watched uh, Boonwell's Exterminating Angel and um, Belle de Jour and loved them. And then I saw this. And the Exterminating Angel is funny because that's a party that cannot end. Like, people just will not leave for whatever reason. There's nothing keeping them from leaving. And eventually, like, it becomes an event in the town. And, like, the cops are called. And, like, it gets to the point where people are conspiring to walk towards the door. It's like, why don't we... The door's right there. There's nothing... We could just walk. And then someone says, don't you fucking dare. (laughs) Or something to that effect. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> it's it's he's doing a send up of like cultural like uh, niceties in a lot of ways, uh, and this is the 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 folks that can never eat versus the party that cannot really end. And, like there's a scene in the Exterminating Angel where a child is walking towards the door, and like everyone's just sort of looking on in anticipation, like oh this is gonna be the one to do it. It's almost like that scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where the where the kid is coming off the alien ship and the kid just turns around and runs. Not screaming, not scared, just turns around and runs. I've never seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, so I cannot mm-hmm. uh, picture that. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> it wasn't my, it's not really my loss, but... Uh, like I, it's I mean, your loss, pal? It's... Get it's off. my failed analogy, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's uh, my here's my decision. 